feeling bitchy? Don't be bitchy alone. Listen to Why Am I So Bitchy with Sean Avia, where we'll have a humorous exploration of social and women's health issues with a feminist twist. It's a bitching good time. Hey, welcome to Why Am I So Bitchy? This week, I am bitchy and appalled at the seemingly regression we're making in society when it comes to treating all people like they're human. Um, And of course, I'm speaking directly about George Floyd. Um, It's heartbreaking and it's um, also, I hope that as a society we're waking up to the real effects of um, discrimination um, to all all minorities, especially black people. Um, And and in Canada, especially to indigenous people. Um, And I feel very worried about the uh, political ramifications that the chaos that is happening in the States um, is going to have on the electoral process. So um, I hope that I hope that all of this death and chaos leads to something positive and not only negativity. Um, It's just heartbreaking to me. Um, And maybe things haven't really changed as much as I feel like they did obviously not I guess there's a lot of hatred percolating under the surface and that's really sad to me so um I for one will be praying for peace and I hope you'll join me Hey, welcome to Why Am I So Bitchy? Today we are lucky to have Doug Dow on the program and we are going to talk about lots of interesting things. And um, Doug happens to, be my, happens to be my brother, which is really cool. Um, and we have lots of fascinating discussions all the time and he's a very knowledgeable guy. So I hope you enjoy listening to us. Okay, welcome to Why Am I So Bitchy? Uh, This week I'm really excited because I have Douglas Dow as my guest who happens to be um, my brother. And so you've all heard me rave about him lots of times on the show. So welcome, Doug. Hello, everyone. 
Thank you for having me, Shauna. You're welcome. So uh, Doug and I were just kind of catching up and um, I think we had some really interesting conversations going here, Doug, about like, for me, I was explaining that I thought that our generation was or, um, going to get away with not having to face any major and this is like so diluted for me because there's been a war going on for like 20 years right in the middle east <laughs> so but i was like oh we're not gonna face any hardship of, of a real significance and the political um state of the u.s doug and i were talking about is really scary where um trump obviously seems to be making a big power play to maybe avoid re-election or further damage election um, turnout and things like that. And um, I don't know, I just feel really sad that the um, racism is escalating and, and he's really perpetrating that. Uh, he certainly has through his comments uh, it's incendiary tweets. Um, I I do worry how psychologically this has an effect on people to get out and and vote that day. Um, j just even that scene of him using tear gas to clear peaceful protesters for a, a photo opportunity. You know, I really have some worries about about him claiming that there are unruly protests during the election and, and really trying to suppress voter turnout, yeah. uh, which is authoritarian. You know, he's basically taking the playbook that has been happening at the authoritarian, authoritarian countries for quite some time. Yeah. and and also riling up his uh, supporters by, I mean, his photo op was with the Bible. I didn't even actually see that, so I don't know it's true, but a friend of mine said that, and I was like, really? Like, uh, It is with the Bible, and he's holding the Bible, looking at the binding, and I think trying to be uh, what is a mindful look for Donald Trump, but he still looks like an idiot uh, because I don't believe he's capable of any kind of mindfulness. Uh, and uh, his uh, Joe Biden and uh, the bishop, the other thing was they actually cleared out some of the clergy from the church as well. They were not wanted there. Wow. So the, the Episcopalian, which is... Uh, so this is at the Episcopalian Church, which is actually, ironically, very liberal. Uh, like Donald Trump would try and court evangelical uh, voters, yeah. uh, but this is an Episcopalian Church, which is effectively um, the same church as the Anglican Church of Canada. They're part of the Anglican Communion. Uh, I would know this as I am an Anglican. Uh, so that's, and for me, um, uh, like uh, for my spirituality uh, uh, Anglicanism is really the only kind of Christianity that I would consider and that's really based on 
I believe we are trying to have an honest journey of reconciliation around uh, how we treated Indigenous people. Um, how can we uh, use our resources to, for you know, to provide something back? Like so, for example, um, one of the things that happened at our last. Um, our last big diocese meeting last year um, was uh, 10% of any building sales that happen in the future uh, that will automatically go to uh, like First Nations people. Uh, so they're attempting to do some reconciliation. Same thing with how um, you know women have been treated uh, in in the church, uh, i.e., not having positions of power. Um, like for our bishop and archbishop now, uh, and are both women. Our our priest is a woman, so that was has been a really important thing for me as well. That um, at least over the last ten years, um, uh, women are in greater positions of power within the church. That's really interesting. Um, as you know, Doug. Uh, so I I'm actually I'm not a card carrier of the Baha'i mm -hmm. religion, but it's a one, the one that I practice most in the fact that that's the scripture I read most and um, I would attend some functions um, with the Baha'is because they're our friends. Mm -hmm. um, and something that doesn't sit well with me um, about it, I, I really believe in a lot of the tenets of their religion and because um, equality of women is a strong one and believing in unity um, of all peoples is going to bring about peace so that really resonates with me and there's um, the highest organization there uh, and they also don't have um, churches right so um that makes it accessible to everyone and it re so they're not actually people do tithe to the baha'i organization but it's not to run churches and stuff like that although i'm sure they're tithing for some reason so it does support the organization somehow but i feel like it's um uh not like the catholic church where <laughs> there's like some really poor people and some really rich people <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, that's a real, uh, in the U.S. particularly, there are some uh, organizations that go by a the pros prosperity gospel, right. which, which generally means just one person in the organization is becoming prosperous at the expense of many poor people. Yeah, so like the Crystal Church or places mm -hmm. like that, right, where there's kind of one... Um, they have this gigantic church, right? And I feel like one guy's making a lot of money there, even though it would cost a lot to run that building as well. But yeah. it, it seems to be like that's kind of a trend in religion too, is like these mega churches rather churches. than um, small community churches, which is pretty sad. But anyway, yeah. my point was that one of the um, things that is hard for me to accept about the Baha'i religion is that the person, they believe in equality for women, and I think this could change, but it hasn't changed, it, but the woman, women can't, um, 
be in the highest position of I don't even want to say power but there there is um like oh what's up I'm not explaining myself anywhere but I know that that's a fact that like women don't get to to hold the highest honor of that organization and one of the tenants is equality for women I'm like that's that bothers me. Nah. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, every church likes to claim that there isn't positions of power, but that is false. Every every religion has positions of power. Yeah. Uh, it's a matter of how are those positions upheld, respected. You know, how are those people? It's very interesting. I think in one way why I feel our church has been so balanced is. Um, our bishop, uh, she has kind of uh, uh, a dual background. She was a a marketing uh, director, or like a, a quite high up in uh, the company Gillette, I believe, mm-hmm. for a period of time, and some form of company, maybe not Gillette, is something though of that nature. Yeah. Uh, so she has such an interesting perspective on you know keep your religious values but also your corporate values and eventually it became too much for her she just could no longer deal with the fact that she effectively was having to lie to people uh you know either by not promoting the science about projects or uh, generally corporations (laughs) just lie in general uh so that's when she eventually i believe switched to full-time uh, parish work uh, but it's always such you had there's so much conflict between your spiritual life and your corporate life I've found that a lot working for uh, a financial institution where uh, often thinking of other people is not a priority yeah I actually listened to an interesting talk um, between two women uh, recently um, it was about um, decolonization and the person who was speaking was a um she was part indigenous and part white but she had worked for a large corporation as well and um eventually she just found like that it wasn't aligning with how she wanted to live her life really like she's like Um, And she's like, I'm like, she felt like she's like really compromising her own health to make somebody who's really, really rich, richer, you know? And um, so now she's actually involved in um, promoting indigenous startups and things like that. So she's totally believes in entrepreneurship. She Mm -hmm. just wants to diversify the economy so it's um, more helpful to more people. Which I thought was really great. And I'm also gonna put a disclaimer. If any of my Baha'i friends heard me botch up my little speech there, <laughs> you can come on and talk about uh, any corrections that I need to make. Nah. <laughs> so that might be a future episode, Doug. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, I think it's, um, I know, I really, it's, kind of interesting like I'm always happy that I'm just an employee at my job Mm -hmm. in a sense because 
I feel like my work is good and legitimate and of service to people. So that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting though, because I do work for a for-profit company, right? Which there's nothing wrong with that, but um, it's kind of weird that the government is supplying the funding and then there's some payout out of that too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, uh, one of the real issues I discovered uh, through work uh, is so uh, as for me, I used to use uh, screen magnification software. For people that don't know, I am I am partially blind, so I have about eight uh, percent vision. Uh, so I used to use uh, screen magnification software, and then about three and a half years ago, uh, because I was just having more headaches, I decided to to request an accommodation to tar- start using text-to-speech software, uh, which is, uh, I realized that uh, there are no real, other than five text-to-speech users across uh, the company that I work for, which is uh, one of the, the richest and uh, largest employers in Canada. Uh, so that was been disappointing to find out that even for entry-level positions, things like um, being able to participate in a training class uh, isn't uh, isn't an option. That pretty much all of the the people there uh, who who are blind or partially blind have been in the the same positions the whole time. That there's no real chance of uh, of promotion. Uh, even uh, our statistics are are modified, and if they if we increase those, all they really do is just bump up our targets instead of say having a set target. Uh, you know, generally applications that over the last five or six years, the the role has been less accessible, and and I have concerns that this isn't just happening in in my. Uh, from my employer that I believe this happens across all the uh, uh, the the five big banks mm-hmm. uh, which is problematic when they are they have the most resources but they also are really uh, uh, believe the fact that helping the blind out is going to be an undue hardship to them in terms of accommodation yeah is not accurate no well i and i really what sucks to me about that is that major corporations all like that all have some sort of diversity plan in place right they're supposed to be equal opportunity employers and so it's a sham (laughs) yes it is well just also um to state that they're, they're willing to accommodate you, but their accommodation is um, to to only just lower your statistics. So even though they're keeping people employed, like their sense is we're not firing people, we're nice people. Whereas I take it as, but I feel horrible and my mental health is deteriorating because I do this job 
uh, at a tenth of what I was capable of before. And uh, to me, just lowering people's statistics instead of looking at, well, maybe this job isn't actually an ideal fit. Maybe we should be looking for other opportunities within the organization that we could hire blind people. Uh, is, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a disagreement between us. Yeah, well, and like, I mean, everybody needs to have productive and meaningful work or at least feel like you need to feel good about your work no matter what it is right yes so if um i mean pretty much it sounds like they're like well just we we can't we can't really get rid of you because it's really bad (laughs) so we'll just keep paying you for (laughs) for not really fulfilling your contract in a way no, no, just to do minimal. And uh, it's also just in terms of our technology is so behind basic things. Uh, uh, like normally, uh, like we would all have to use our applications. They, we all have special like keyboard commands. Uh, well, none of these things have ever been documented. So then it's also just a real frustration for us internally if we need to get any information we have to talk to two or three or four people and just hope somebody remembers it instead of being able to just go to a job aid like our peers would do. Right. Which is just so, that's the other part. It can be so unproductive. Your day can feel so unproductive. It's just absolutely frustrating because you want to be able to do more, but the technology just doesn't allow you to. Yeah. And that's the lack of investment, to be honest, just a lack of, uh, to me, I've always found it so backwards when I discovered this, I'm like, why would we pay people to do these scripts and do all this, but then not actually document it? Isn't that just stupid? Yeah. We're like the largest company in the world. Why do we do this? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think also just for me, a big, for me has really been recognizing my privilege. Yeah. Uh, uh, in theory, if I was uh, not a white male, I would not have made it based on that. Uh, you know, we I grew up in poverty. I didn't graduate uh, high school. Uh, you know, I. I didn't really get a lot of job opportunities early on. Uh, even my first job, I had to effectively uh, beg to work for free for two weeks right. as a dishwasher just to even be given a chance, which, you know, you, that wouldn't have happened if I was cited. Right. Yeah. I would have just been given the job. Yeah. Um, so it's, and so I've been very lucky in that. Uh, my current employer isn't the only good job I've had. I've had one other uh, well-paying job, and then I was always able to support myself uh, for for about five or six years through various uh, retail work. Right. Uh, but the employment rate for the blind is is so low in Canada. It is. 27 percent it's the second worst in the world wow so that's another reason why this is so important for me 
is that I just don't believe a company that employs uh, you know 35,000 people should only have five people who are, are blind or partially blind uh, being employed yeah. and my understanding is uh, those numbers are pretty much equal for all the five uh, big banks yeah so if you're talking you know possibly you know companies that employ 200,000 people and they only have 20 that's that's nowhere near uh, adequate number for a population that basically makes up one percent of Canada of people that are uh, that are would be severely blind which would be 10% vision or less right yeah yeah it's um I don't know I feel like um you know I work in um a field supporting people with disability Mm -hmm. um, that have less function than you um, (laughs) and um I I feel like it's just so hard to to do basic things like sometimes um you know one person I support's in a wheelchair and we live in a pretty small community and there's so many places that there's no way we can go there or if you can get in it's like not designed for a wheelchair whatsoever yeah um and that's being supported so people who are out in wheelchairs without support are going to have even more of a hard time um navigating that and um um yeah i feel like really a lack of um, willingness for people to actually um, for non for able-bodied people to have real relationships with people like that is pretty rare unless they have somehow been introduced early or Mm -hmm. or something like I feel like our people the people I support don't have any real friends outside of um, their their peers that are also disabled, which is pretty mm-hmm. sad. It is. Uh, I mean, a lot of my close friends are within uh, the blind community, yeah. and that's relatively a new. Well, maybe the last ten to fifteen years, I really like most blind people try to just hide it uh, avoid telling people Uh, and you know why do you want to actually say it when uh you know if you're honest about it it's probably just going to lower your employment opportunities right Um, it's it's interesting uh so i you know didn't about three and a half years ago i started really fully self-identifying as a blind person so i use a cane when I'm out in public, um, I'm more willing to, I, I, I openly identify myself as a partially blind individual, which I used to not do. I would try and just uh, say something, oh, I see pretty close to you. It's just not as well or as far or some other various things of explanation that you would try and use that really doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so it's been very interesting to discover uh, well, another thing though, too, where I think it was easier for me is because uh, I have a 
a cosmetic uh, issue with my nystigmus that my one eye often goes in is inverted. So yeah. people would often come into my space, even as a child. Like if I would go to a card store to to try and find a uh, a birthday card for for either you or our other sister. As soon as I was reading that card, someone would generally come into my space and say, "Why don't you wear glasses?" Right. <laughs> and you know, do you need help or various other things? Uh, so that would get very difficult. Always having to to have these interactions. Yeah. And now, in some ways, it's even worse since I started using a cane. Uh, if you if you're too mobile or you are if you're living your life in a way that other people don't expect blind people to then they'll comment on it like uh, both me and uh, you know my peers have been told that we are faking our blindness within the last month oh my god <laughs> and then I'm like well why would I want if I was going to fake something wouldn't I want to fake being a celebrity why would I want to fake being <laughs> one of the most discriminated people in society like it to me is illogical yeah um you know other times just uh the other last week i was um looking for an address on uh at a at a house and i had to use a, a magnifier i yeah. used a, a magnifier on my phone to zoom in and then so i found the house and then uh i uh I would only assume a conservative, a short, stocky, older white man started approaching me, aggressive right off the bat, like yelling, why are you taking photos? Right. I'm like, I, and so I calmly responded, like, I'm not taking photos. I'm, I'm legally blind. I was just using my magnifier. Right. Uh, he didn't hear. He still just continued to, to be loud. Yeah. I tried to explain again. Uh, uh, calmly, but then obviously I realized that that wasn't going to work. I had to start speaking asshole for this person yeah. to understand. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, so then I got more aggressive, right? Uh, which eventually, yes, he seemed to say, "Oh, okay, I didn't know," and back away. Right. And then I continued to berate him while he walked down the block because I'd lost my cool. Yeah. And then after that, I just broke down in tears because I was like so distraught. It, sometimes, I mean, that's unfortunately a weekly thing yeah. where somebody's going to invade your space, and and sometimes you just don't want that. You just want to go for a walk, and you don't want somebody to invade your personal space. Yeah. Uh, so that's the difficult decision about deciding to use a cane. Yeah. Um, although who knows if I didn't then that person may have just turned aggressive so it's such a difficult and I'm a white male so I'm I think of these in that way but I always think about like how much difficult this would be if if you're a minority if you're a woman you know yeah. how much more fear that's going to have you're gonna have in your space I was even surprised that I was approached being white like I've I've seen I've heard of people being approached taking photos before in Vancouver there was uh, like quite a big news story about that yeah when a couple people um, uh, uh, 
people who were who were um like uh who were muslim were taking photos and then of course people got all up and concerned about it and then they had to explain what well, we're 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 blind and and such but it turned into a big huge to do with media and everything and and that shouldn't have happened they should just be allowed to take photos like anybody else regardless of your race and your, your color uh, but then it also re- made me really realize that you know most of the time I'm able to do this without even being questioned right so. yeah it's um I don't know I feel like it's I just un- it's like so unfortunate too like with that guy that he couldn't just have a respectful conversation like why can't you just approach that with like n- amiable curiosity at least you know and exactly but also what this makes me think about too Doug is like kind of the opposite of that is um when people want to help you too much when you don't really need assistance <laughs> yeah unwanted help is uh everyday thing people yeah. can I help you down the stairs can I do this for you can I do that I'm like no it's fine i don't need any help just leave me alone yeah <laughs> yeah there's nothing wrong with my legs <laughs> uh, no exactly well even uh when when i traveled one time to the uh to the us and in some ways it is great i'm going through security mm-hmm. in uh iowa they didn't even have me walk through the metal detector they had me walk beside the metal detector they didn't even wave me down or anything <laughs> yeah and then i get to minneapolis and they're like okay we're ready to take they but they had a wheelchair yeah and like i don't in a way is amazing like i was amazed at how much <laughs> they were going to help yeah and and i can sometimes i will use the cane to my my privilege uh i'm like i feel i got to face discrimination enough so oftentimes if i see a big line I would just and I see somebody that's obviously monitoring the door. I'll just like stand in front of that person looking like really confused. Yeah. And eventually they just wave you in. Yeah. <laughs> uh I always do that at security. Got to get at once in a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I will try and use the misconceptions of society to my advantage that I have learned over the years. Yeah. Well, as a blonde woman, I've been guilty of that myself, Doug. No. <laughs> like you stand around and look dumb, someone will do yeah. something for you. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it doesn't work so much when you're older. You know, no. when I was funny, it worked like a charm. <laughs> yeah. uh, ageism is a real problem as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I um yeah. I think it's well I really appreciate your um sharing of experiences because I think it's really important for for people to know the discrimination and what is it ableism is that the correct term for unwanted that is, help That is the correct term. Yeah, um and um yeah, I think it's you know um I just feel like also being I know that you guys experienced um that growing up as well but I I feel like 
just the way that we were raised where our parents really didn't coddle you. No. Was so I'm was probably beneficial and and in you getting some of the opportunities that you do have. Uh yes, especially that uh more so that they didn't coddle our sister. Yeah. Especially during that time. Uh I think is really what speaks to our parents. Uh because back then I I mean and the the sad truth is like I can think of you know at least 30 or 40 successful blind men that I'm friends with. Yeah. But if I'm going to try and figure out women that have seen had that same opportunity, I'm hard pressed to find 10. Yeah. Which is disappointing. Yeah. Um but I'm also very usually being you spend so much time being isolated, being blind and not knowing another person. uh that you can share that experience with mm-hmm. uh and you know me and our sister both being blind that we could uh share and learn from each other was really a huge uh advantage yeah for us because you have a you have that connection you have that understanding so you don't have that same sense of just uh i think <laughs> what's wrong with me why am i so different from everyone else whereas yeah. when you have somebody that is basically the same that whole is very different and our father did a really good job of uh you know making sure we were i think particularly with me just because I was younger connected to that blind community uh yeah. by having me go to like um the different camps uh from an early age right yeah yeah Yeah, and also um just all, uh that was partially as well because um we lived in smaller communities when Heather was younger so the access to opportunities level, right Yeah. Um, but yeah, the um I feel like um I don't know, I think that it really um having siblings of with those differences really has made me um I mean probably brought me to the work in a sense that I do not because of that but I could easily accept that um I don't know like for me it's really easy to see abilities for people rather than disabilities mm-hmm. um and so you know that's a big part of my work is is um trying to help people li- live the most independent life they can really. <laughs> so um I I feel like I don't know, I just feel like that was my experience in life so it's really natural for me to want to support that. I I also just really do have an appreciation uh that we did live in impoverished neighborhoods because I feel that meant that we were exposed to a lot more diversity growing up and is why I I mean I think it's one of the things that really helped cement my values even when I had to go live in redneck neighborhoods for a period of my time that <laughs> I was still able to keep all of those positive things uh when I moved out to the city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Um I always I don't know. <laughs> I really loved Um I always felt a sense of pride of being in Prague or somehow <laughs> like yeah, me too. Yeah. 
like, yeah, I'm from that crappy neighborhood. Like I I'm proud to say that I'm from the projects. Yeah. My, uh, I had a friend, um, who lived in the projects upstairs from us and she used to like pretend she was from Delta or something like <laughs> when she would go out in the neighborhood or out of the neighborhood and she would like go hang out with different people and she'd be like, oh, I just tell people I'm from Delta. And I was like, <laughs> why? <laughs> like, I totally didn't get it. It was funny. She was a funny girl anyway. So that, um, <laughs> so, and I don't know. It was, it was a pretty tough neighborhood sometimes though, like just knowing that a lot of people were um, facing domestic abuse and yeah, um, those kinds of things. That was- well, It even starts at a young age. Like uh, one of my, I've not been in a lot of fights, but one of the few fights I've been in was with my best friend Goshi at the time yeah. because he was trying, he was about to hit his sister and I intervened. Right. And then we had uh, a couple, we had a series of fights. We had two fights with strict rules, of course, because we were still friends. Yes. I beat him up in a graveyard and he beat me up in the projects. I'm claiming, <laughs> I'm claiming victory because beating someone up in a graveyard is way cooler. There, there you go. Yeah, that was a big problem. Like I know um, uh, the girl I was just talking about, her younger brother used to beat her up all the time. and. I'm sure that was a modeled behavior, most likely. <laughs> no, unfortunately, it generally always is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, and also another weird thing, like I found, was actually like growing up in that neighborhood and being the only kids that actually had a father. Yeah. Like, I mean, comparative to like you know just a single mom is normal but having a single dad raise you that was very still abnormal in the 1980s it was and i mean i think that actually really affected um i mean two things i think affected how our dad parented you differently as one was that scrutiny that he faced mm -hmm. um and also um he became more educated so uh, yeah. Lucky you, Doug. He learned like spanking's not cool. Um, no. <laughs> but, oh, um, and I always like what I really appreciate is because I've always been sensitive and I would say unboy-like. He never tried to change that from me. Yeah. He always still allowed me to be an affectionate, yeah, child, which is uh, amazing at that time when you think about it. That yeah. wasn't behavior that was being modeled by fathers. No, I feel like, yeah, I feel like there was, um, for that time period, actually a lot of affection in our house. Um, maybe even more, especially from our dad mm -hmm. and our mom. Even our mom was affectionate as well. Yeah. Um, but I think not that it, not in the same, like our dad was playfully affectionate, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. wrestle on or just sit on his knee or or whatever right so yeah yeah i feel like like um that you're quite a lot like him where you're i don't like our dad was just way more level-headed mm -hmm. um and which i mean like gee when i had my kids and i i understood why our mom yelled so much sometimes <laughs> i was like oh my god this is why but well so much to say right because she was so young yeah. And, and 
I mean, really, I've just been thinking a lot about like how she would have been raised in such a strong Catholic family and women aren't really treated the same way and just a whole bunch of other circumstances for her. Yeah, I feel like... I've been reflecting a lot on lately. Yeah, I mean, I just... um, I guess I'll get to the grit of this part is, you know, it's really hard to be a young a young mother of three children like our mom had three children before she's 25, 25 and, yeah. and also living in a alcoholic relationship right like mm-hmm. that yeah. shit. <laughs> that's some that's some shit to deal with <laughs> it is yeah it is yeah. yeah so um and you know and i guess and that's just generational trauma i mean she experienced that at that, the same her, at her house and then our dad experienced that in his home so his house yeah no exactly yeah yeah i always have such a hard time right now like you know i'll have fondness for our grandfathers yeah but at the same time i'm just like i knew they were not great I've I guess that I would not want my daughter to ever be anywhere near I have any kind of relationship with a man anything like those two yeah and And, I feel like boots mellowed out a little sooner but yeah Ivan was never mellow not (laughs) and like only the only advantage our our grandma ever got is he, he was in poor health and he wasn't physically able to abuse her as much yeah yeah i think that also increased um like some of that was um i mean it was definitely alcohol based but i think also um you know his temperament really changed the less deep the less independent he came i mean became Mm -hmm. like part of his gruffness i think was a result of a, a loss of independence and just having to be dependent on her for so much was was really difficult for him so yeah. um i don't want to condone all of the nasty yeah. that we saw but um uh at the same time you know that that's really hard too anyway I it's interesting know. too like in he's i said just because he encouraged so much of his children to go to school and also that they're all kind of you know with our father and our aunt both choosing to to go to school in the mental health field mm-hmm. you know I, I i think it's just kind of always shows that uh how much men struggle when they lose privilege yeah any kind of pri- no matter what that is like i find the the males that uh, had sight up to a certain age and then and then lose it, they are not able to handle it the same way as say uh, I was or me and my friends I know that lost it at birth. And I think generally speaking, men particularly just have such a hard time dealing with any loss of privilege. Yeah. And they often unfortunately shake it out on those closest to them. Yeah. I know. I I think. Uh, what do you think about this, Doug? We haven't talked about this, so this is like on the air coming out. <laughs> but um, like, I mean, our dad had a disability 
as well. And like that had to have really affect his, I mean, we know it affected his traje trajectory of life, right? And I mean, in some ways, even though he was still a student and stuff, like he never really recovered from that employment-wise. No, no. You know. Uh, and well, and that and just having, this is one thing where I found it so interesting, a parallel of, uh, he was in that fight with uh, the workers' compensate WCB for so long, yeah, and and also just like I find a very similar thing of that they expected him to go back, I believe, to be like an ambulance attendant, which right. would have been an extremely physical and demanding job for him. Like, I mean, his body was completely broken down. Yeah. Um. So then, you know, just, and then also he would have had a passion for, I mean, my understanding is he was be going to UBC to become a clinical counselor for drug and alcohol addiction. Yeah. Uh, so obviously a, a career path that would have helped people that would have made total sense for his past history and also would have allowed him uh, to do a job that's non-physical is weird how they were so... Um, against that and that I also just like how much going through my own <laughs> legal fight now just how much stress that causes you yeah not being supported and all that is yeah yeah and not and I mean really doing that all of that alone and trying to support your children on yeah. in poverty right under the poverty yeah. line <laughs> no, exactly yeah yeah I think one of my favorite ones I like to talk tell tell people is uh, like the first time that I was in the newspaper was uh, us picketing a workers' compensation board office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prince yeah. George now or whatnot. Right. Yeah. It's really I, I mean I have I've found it interesting to draw those parallels that we're basically in a really similar fight at the same point in our age. Yeah. Is I should say. Yeah. And it's probably one of the reasons why I've been willing to kind of continue this as well, because it really just taught me from an early age about even if it's a real challenge that you have to kind of stand up for what you believe is right. Yeah. And, and I think it's also important to recognize that these things do set precedences, right? So you're in a long battle and it could potentially help someone soon. Yes, hopefully so. Yeah, sorry. Mom just tapped on the door. She's over here too. Okay. You can't see him. He's uh, on mute. No, you can say hi. Hi, Gab. Hi, Mom. How are you? You can't see me. I could unvideo. Yeah. That's okay. You don't want okay. to see me anyway. Uh -huh. <laughs> She's in her gardening clothes. Yeah. Anyway. All okay. Right. Okay. See I'm you go okay bye. Right, bye. Bye. Okay. So that's this. This is the joy of a amateur podcast. I'm not even going to edit that out. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, the lawnmower's been on. The dogs are barking. Grandma came for a visit. <laughs> it's a typical day. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think I haven't really thought about that parallel before, Doug. So that's really interesting for me to think about. And um, 
and you know I think throughout our family there's a vein of we really believe in in uh speaking up for what is right mm-hmm. and what is just yeah no I I concur it's one thing I always really do think particularly about Grandpa Dow mm-hmm. I think had he been raised in a different time he would have been different yeah. I like to think that I don't 100% know also I mean just I think with both our father and him quitting drinking and our grandpa and seeing that it really caused me to think about my own addiction issues last year yeah and really having to kind of to curtail those particular yeah. around drinking yeah well i think um well i i admire you that you um that you had those realizations and um I, yeah i completely respect it and i kind of will miss having a beer with you sometimes now <laughs> i think uh, i, I think we can have a lemonade realiz- it's okay <laughs> lemonade i think yeah. the real realization uh Oh man, I can pretty much be really good 364 days a year, but if I'm super stressed, then I'm still at that point where I will just overindulge in liquor. Yeah. And even now I still make poor choices like uh about a month ago. Mm-hmm. I bought like um like uh edibles, like these 5 mg like edibles. Yeah. Uh because I was getting some oh I was getting some from a different place called Moda uh which are also like 50 grams which is a lot. Uh now if they're designed the right way it's not as much. So these things from Moda are more it's a different process I think uh even though it's a high THC percentage they use like uh, a process of like oxidation so they're able to specific strains and then also what that means is they can get those strains uh that aren't as high mm-hmm. percent so it's like you know it's a way more balance uh is what i've discovered but this first stuff i bought isn't that at all it's just like uh they use an ethanol process so it's as strong as possible yeah. uh so i don't know for whatever reason though i decided to take like 10 of these things <laughs> and then i was messed up for a good few hours uh but it also just my general thinking is uh not one to do anything with abundant caution right it's always how much can i do and survive right off the bat yeah i feel really fortunate um that after my hiatus from drinking for about 15 years and i my drinking was definitely problematic when i was a young person like just blacking out and uh yeah. you know being i don't i don't that's necess- i'm not slut shaming myself cuz i think if i wanted to have sex that's fine but just doing it because you're like inebriated is not very good yeah yeah um anyway so that combination is unsafe um but um Yeah, just uh but once I I really didn't drink for a long time because when Ivan quit drinking, I just thought I'll be supportive of that and so I probably didn't drink for about 15 years. And 
I'm really aware actually about not drinking to medicate my feelings. I mean, I I eat to do that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I forgot my crutch. But um, but if I like ever feel like, oh, I just need a drink, like that's my thought, then I'm like, then have a cup of tea. <laughs> you know, like um, yeah. because I just don't, I'm so acutely aware that that's not a good path that I wanted. Yeah, and I and I like so I'd say I really socially drink now. So you know I have probably most days I have a beer or two, but I'm really aware of not like if I have four, I feel like crap, and so I've just yeah. you know. <laughs> I, I think also part of it is just knowing my friend. I can't really say I have any friends that show resistance in drinking. Yeah, unfortunately. So then it makes it really hard for you to be the only one that would have resistance versus just not doing it. Yeah. And also like my really, my close friends, it's interesting since I have, I've definitely known friends that aren't as close will like either make comments or be like, you're some, you're at back when we could go to a bar, mm -hmm. be like specific, oh, Doug, what are you drinking? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm drinking? I'm drinking a Diet Coke. Yeah. <laughs> why are you doing? Why are you doing that? Like, right. uh, I mean, everyone's heard the story four times. Why do we need to, yeah. to bring it up again? But part of it is as well as I think they're just it irks. I but then I just make them feel completely uncomfortable because I'm just honest. Yeah. And I've realized something that people, if you're honest about your own addictions, it makes other people very uncomfortable around theirs. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, my probably my closest group of friends, uh, which <laughs> I'm in a group of three blind men, we call ourselves flight crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like they're totally supportive and don't, you know, so, which is, uh, is amazing. That's you know, good. You need yeah. your people. No, exactly. Exactly. Well, Doug, we've been already talking for like 50 something minutes and I only got an hour. So I'm going to say I'm glad you're one of my people <laughs> and Thanks. Uh, we can um, if you want to continue talking sometime, you can come on anytime. OK, thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So I'm going to just turn off the record. Hey, thanks for listening to Why Am I So Bitchy. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. My tongue isn't working. I'm having a hard time getting my words out. I have to work on my throat chakra some more, I guess. Anyway, uh, thanks, Doug, for joining us. Um, and as always, if you would like to reach out to me, you're welcome to. Um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Why am I so bitchy on both of those formats? Um, so have a great week. Bye.